How's everyone doing this morning? Good to be here. Good to see all of you this morning as we continue our series in 1 Kings. Now, um, I'm going to get into this message, but how many of you in here like to build things, like build things from scratch, just like hammer and nails, build things, more power to you? <laughs> I, I am I'm not a builder. I like to think I'm many things, but a builder I'm not. I like to tear things up and then try to fix them. I'm good at that. But I'm really good at bringing people in to help me when I need help. And I think it's kind of like Solomon. That's kind of wise to have people in your corner that can help you when you make mistakes. I've got an awesome father-in-law. I've got dads that can help me. I've got friends that I can call on, and they, and they come and help me. So they kind of help me in my projects. But I really don't like building because, let's just face it, I hate going to Lowe's. We started the upstairs project last year. It seems like last year. I don't know when it was. It was a long time. But we spent a lot of hours up there. And I think we spent more hours in Lowe's looking for materials than we did actually building things. But it was, it was a nightmare. We've, I think I've seen Jessica actually falling asleep in the lumber aisle. But it was that bad. We'd have to go back because you would forget something. But that's the way building goes. So the message today is God's building project. God's building project. And that leads us to Solomon. See, David wanted to build the temple. They had the tabernacle. They had this tent that they would set up and tear down. And they would have to set up and tear down, pack up and tear down, and build back up again. And David's like, I want to build the temple. See, God gave David these blueprints for the temple, and he knew he was dreaming about it. But he had to wait. And see, every season in life, there is a time that we have to wait. There's a time to wait, and then there's a time to build. And see, timing is everything. And all too often, we get uncomfortable in that season of, of waiting. We don't, we don't like waiting. We don't even like waiting in the line at Burger King longer than we think we have to. We just don't like it. But timing is everything. And in those times and those seasons of waiting, we're like, God, where are you? God, I, I can't hear you. God, why haven't you fulfilled this promise yet? God, why haven't you answered this prayer yet? But see, God's timing is everything. For, for David, waiting was, was difficult. Waiting to build a temple was difficult. See, a, te a tent, the tabernacle, that was something that was temporary. That was something temporary. They had to pick it up, pack it up, put it in the bag, carry it around, set it back up again. But the temple is a structure. It was meant to be firm. It was meant to be stationary, permanent. It was meant to be permanent. And the people were getting tired of tearing down and setting up and tearing down again and setting up again. And he's like, all right, come on, guys, let's pick God back up again and, and let's carry him to the next place and set God back up again. Because that's what the tabernacle was. That was God with his people. See, God has given the, David the blueprints for the tabernacle a long time ago. But God made him wait. There was a reason that David had to wait. There was a reason that the Israelites had to wait. And see, there's a reason in your lives today that you're having to wait. Maybe he's waiting for the right time. Maybe he's shaping you and getting you ready for that promise. See, David would not be the one that built the temple. David would not be the one that built the temple. That project would be passed on to his son Solomon. So that's where we're going to get in today. So the waiting is over, finally. The time 
was right. The time was right to start building the temple. And so God told Solomon, get to work. You had the blueprints, get to work. Before we get into the scripture today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you today. Father, we lift you up. In the times in our lives where we're in the waiting, we're in the quiet, we're in the stillness, and we're wondering where you're at, why aren't you working? And Father, we realize that in the midst of our waiting, that's when you are working. That you're working, even the way we don't know it. Father, I lift up everyone in this room. Father, you know their hearts, you know what they're going through. I lift up each chair in here, empty chair, filled chair. Father, you know the sicknesses and the pains and the hurt that are going on. And Father, we know that you are our strength. And we're just going to turn it all over to you. Father, I lift up anyone that's listening online or watching online. Father, just let your spirit move in this building today. Father, let, let all the outside noise and let all the distractions dissipate and let your spirit fill our hearts and fill our minds this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, in the words of Smoking the Bandit, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So I've got three whole chapters to go through. So I'm not going to go through all of them. So uh, it's, it, I sent Jeff uh, my scripture the other day and I had to go back and through it and make sure I had everything and I had to make some few changes. So just bear with me. I think you have your little journals. It's not going to be the same scripture. I'm sorry. But we'll try to uh, get through this. But this is an awesome passage. And there's a lot of details in here. So you have homework tonight. You do have homework tonight because the, the stuff that I don't read, that I want you guys to go back and read for yourself. But we're going to be in the fifth chapter, starting in verse 1, we're going to do 1 through 12. It says, King Hiram of Tyre had always been a loyal friend of David. When Hiram learned that David's son Solomon was the new king of Israel, he sent ambassadors to congratulate him. Then Solomon sent this message back to Hiram. You know that my father David was not able to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord his God because of the many wars waged against him by the surrounding nations. He could not build until the Lord gave him victory over all of his enemies. But now the Lord my God has given me peace on every side. And I love this verse. God has given me peace on every side. I have no enemies, and all is well. All is well. So I'm planning to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, just as he instructed my father David. For the Lord told him, your son who I will place on your throne will build a temple to honor my name. Therefore, please, please command that cedars from Lebanon be cut for me. Let my men work alongside yours, and I will pay your men whatever wages you ask. As you know, there is no one among us who can cut timber like you Sidonians. When Hiram received Solomon's message, he was very pleased and said, Praise the Lord. That's going to stick out for a second. Because we have Hiram, the king, the Sidonians, a Gentile, not a Jew, praising the Lord, capital L, Lord, Today, for giving David a wise son to be king of the great nation of Israel. Then he sent this reply to Solomon. I have received your message, and I will supply all the cedar and cypress timber you need. My servants will bring the logs from the Lebanon mountains to the Mediterranean Sea and make them into rafts and float them along the coast to whatever place you choose. 
Then we will break the rafts apart so you can carry the logs away. You can pay me by supplying me with food from my household. So Hiram supplied as much cedar and cypress timber as Solomon desired. In return, Solomon sent him an annual payment of 100,000 bushels of wheat for his household and 110,000 gallons of pure olive oil. So the Lord gave wisdom to Solomon, just as he had promised. And Hiram and Solomon made a formal alliance of peace. See, it's good to have friends that have resources. It's good to have friends that have resources. See, there's three key ingredients that Solomon needed to build the temple. The first one was peace. See, David never saw peace. He never had peace. There was always blood on David's hands because of all the battles that he had to go through. He was always having to move from place to place. He was always hiding. So there was no peace. So now, finally, there's a sense of peace in the land that all is well. That all is well. The timing was right. So he had peace. The second ingredient was wood. They had none. There was no wood to be had. There was no lumber. There was no Lowe's. There was no Home Depot. So Hiram loved David. He was a friend of David. And Solomon, being wise, knew that there were some good trees. There was some good lumber in Lebanon. That's what they were known for. These trees were like the sequoias. They were like the redwoods. They were huge, not like the cedar trees that we have today. They were huge and made great lumber and cypress. So he's like, you can have all of this building material that you want. And you have to have relationships. So you can't do anything on your own. Solomon was wise enough to know that I can't build this temple on my own. I'm going to need help. I'm going to need resources. See, timing is everything. There was peace. And building is just more fun when you have friends that will help you. So the first time in hundreds and hundreds of years, they knew peace. They didn't have as many struggles. They were not getting attacked from every side. There was no blood on Solomon's hands. So he had peace. See, David was a man of war. And the timing was just not right for him. But see, he still trusted in God's plan. He still had those blueprints, and he passed them on to Solomon. You have to build for me. You have to build for God. See, building is building's hard. But it's even harder if you're trying to build in the middle of a war. It's just not going to work. So that God blessed the people with peace. And they were patient. And they waited. See, David was strong. And he was a fighter. But he was not a builder. Solomon was blessed with peace and wisdom. And see, God used both for his purpose. He had peace and he had wisdom. Solomon was wise and he knew he needed help. See, having the right connections and having the right friends is everything in building. Solomon had a friend and ally in Hiram, thanks to David, thanks to that relationship that was built. And see, even though Hiram was a Gentile, even though Hiram was a Gentile, he praised the Lord. We, we can't overlook that. This Gentile, this king of another nation, praised the Lord. He praised God for Solomon. And he's like, here, take it, have all you need. That I'll even cut the pieces for you. Solomon, you don't even have to look through the lumber. I'm going to make everything nice and straight for you. There's not going to be any knots whatsoever in your lumber. We're going to give you the best. You're not going to have to worry about it. You're not going to have to wait in line at Lowe's. You're going to have it. We're going to ship it for you for free. And that's important. I know we got some lumber from, from, I hate using the same, so the lumber place. 
And we thought, all these are not straight boards. And me and Jeff like spent 30, 45 minutes looking through all these boards. And we get them upstairs and the girls are sanding and painting them. And then we looked over and one shaped like a hockey stick. <laughs> Kid you not, true story. He's like, Solomon, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that. All I want in return is some food. All I want in return is some food. And see, this is, this is where I can, this is my technique. This is my strategy. If I need help, the people come and help me, I feed you. And just hopefully the food's good enough for you to come back and help me again. <laughs> but these cedars from Lebanon, they were, they were famous. They were huge. See, Jews had the stones. They had the rock. But they did not have the lumber. And so we cannot miss this picture of, of God using other people to build up his kingdom, to using the Gentiles, that they had the lumber that was needed. And you have the Jews, they had the stone that was needed. And so they came together, the Jews and the Gentiles, to build God's house, just like it is today, that the Jews and Gentiles come together and to build his kingdom. See, before it was only the Jews that were building the tabernacle, that were tearing down and setting up the tabernacle. But now we see the Jews providing the stone and the Gentiles providing the lumber and the wood that was needed. And this is how Christ built his church. Both the Jews and the Gentiles coming together and building his kingdom. So Solomon sent all this food to Hiram. And then he sent all thousands, thousands and thousands of workers to Lebanon to help cut the lumber. He sent thousands and thousands of workers into the quarries to, to shape rocks and to cut the stones and get the stones ready. So we're going to pick up in chapter 6. It says, in, It was in mid-spring in the month of Ziv, during the fourth year of Solomon's reign, that he began to construct the temple of the Lord. This was 480 years after the people of Israel were rescued from their slavery in the land of Egypt. 480 years. 480 years. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The entry room at the front of the temple was 30 feet wide, running across the entire width of the temple. It, protected, it projected outward 15 feet from the front of the temple. So a couple of things stick out there in verses 1 through 3. 480 years. That's a long time to wait. So the next time that you're in line waiting, <laughs> remember 480 years. Not an extra four or eight minutes. 480 years. That's a long time to wait. It's a long time to wait. And we see the dimensions of this temple. And what sticks out to me, this is not a very big building. It's not very big. Okay, some of us have houses that are bigger than this temple. But it was not meant for everyone together inside of. Remember, this was God's house. This was God's house. But 480 years. Verse 7. And we're going to park right here for just a few minutes. The stones used in the construction of the temple were finished in the quarry. So there was no sound of a hammer, axe, or any other tool at the building site. No sound Whatsoever, No air compressor going off, no hammering, no sound, no tools were heard, no chiseling. No, you didn't hear a cuss word because someone busted their thumb. There was no sound. And you think, this, that's kind of weird. Why would, they, why would they do that? 
Why would they, why would they not use their resources there at the building site? Because that's what we do now. But there's, there's, a, there's a key fact in this about the quietness, about cutting these stones away. And then you think about, well, how are they that smart to, to cut and measure everything? And they get all those stones perfectly put into place and cut them perfectly in the quarry that's not near the building site. Aliens didn't help them, okay? Aliens did not help them. See, people back then, they were smarter than what we give them credit for. I mean, hello, Adam walked with God, right? Adam walked with God. So I don't think that people were just dumb back then. I think they're actually smarter than what we give them credit for. I think there was an intelligence that they had that we just take for granted because we have so much technology. And I think that technology kind of makes us look smarter than what we actually are. But they were smart. They, they were talented people to cut these stones and then bring them in, and they fit perfectly together, perfectly together. But these stones, they were cut and measured and put together. But see, there was a, a silence. There, were, there was a, a reverent silence at the building site that, that no sound was heard. See, sound can be distracting. Outside noises can be distracting. I know when we were doing construction upstairs, every time we started talking about something, the air compressor would turn on. Every time. It never failed. It was a distraction. And there's sounds can be distractions anywhere you are. At work, there's all outside noise. At school, there's outside noise. In church, there's outside noise. In your life, there's all kinds of outside noise that get in the way of God talking to you and speaking to you. There's all kinds of outside noise. So I love this reverence here that we see, that the people could see progress. People could see this building rising before their eyes, but not hear a thing. So they could see that God himself was building this temple, that no sound was heard, but they could see the progress. And so sometimes as, you know, I got to thinking about this, sometimes us as believers and workers in the church, that, that we equate spiritual growth and effectiveness with attention and recognition and the sound from others, right? But see, God is shaping you. He's using you. He's chiseling on you a little bit, but you may not hear it. People may not hear it, but God can shape you and he can use you without other people knowing about it. It doesn't have to be made known. There's, it doesn't have to be advertised for it to be authentic. It doesn't have to be advertised. And so all too often we're like, well, I'm not being thanked enough. I, I, I don't, I'm not being recognized enough. The, my boss at work is not patting me on the back enough. And I'm just not getting recognized. And so you start to get discouraged. And so we see this temple being built with no sound whatsoever. No sound no outside noise. So look to the building of the temple. It was silent. It was silent. So when God works, it isn't always loud. It isn't always loud. It can be silent. It can be subtle. And sometimes it can be totally missed by other people. But God is still building something in your life. God is still using you to build something in the silence. And in our silence, sometimes we're work, we wonder, like, God, are, are, you, are you still there? Are you still working? Are you, are you still there? But see, God's work in our life isn't always loud. 
And it's not always instantaneous. And there's not always gratification from it. Look at, we're gonna jump, you don't have to go there, but verse 38. The entire building was completed in every detail by mid-autumn in the month of Buell, during the 11th year of his reign. So it took seven years to build a temple. Seven years to build a temple. See, God takes his time. God takes his time. And that's the way sanctification works, is that it takes time, and then it's not always loud. It's not always loud that God can use you, and he can mold you, he can chisel you, and he can shape you into the person that he wants you to be in the quietness that people may not ever see, but he's using you, he's building you, he's shaping you. And see, God desires to build us in silence, and that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Sanctification does not happen overnight. So in our times of waiting, in, that, in those times of silence, when we don't feel like God's working, we don't hear God's voice, we're not getting recognized, that we have to pull ourselves away from the noise. See, God desires to, to build us up in the silence. So in the waiting seasons of your life, trust in God. When it's waiting time, trust in God. And we have to pull ourselves away from the noise. We have to pull ourselves away from the outside distractions and get away from it all. And even that could be in the ministry sometimes. That could be your job sometimes. But pull yourself away from the noise. And I cannot remember the lady's name, but I heard the story a long time ago. This, this lady had a lot of kids. And she was a housewife. And all the kids were running around, and she, would, she had this apron. And when she threw the apron over her head, all the kids knew not to bother her, to leave her alone, because that was her quiet time with God. Sometimes we just got to put something over our heads and get away from it all and say, God, speak to me in the quietness, to get away from the noise. See, Jesus even did this. Jesus modeled this for us. After he fed the 5,000, he didn't wait around for the pats on the back. He didn't wait around for the congratulations. He didn't wait around for, man, that was awesome. He went off by himself. He went off by himself. He had quiet time. We see this all through Scripture when Jesus would go off by himself to talk to the Father. He went to a quiet place. So when God works, it isn't always loud. It can be silent. It can be subtle. It can be sometimes missed, but he is still working. He's still working. So we were tempted. When we're tempted by all that noise, we've got to get away from it. Go off by yourself. Get away from the noise. Go off by yourself. So in your quiet time, make time for quiet time. You have to make time for yourself and God with no outside distractions, no noise, no outside noise whatsoever, no phone ringing, no TV going on. Make time. In your quiet time, allow God to shape you. People might not hear the hammer working. They might not hear the chisel. They may not hear the, the stuff that God is cutting away from your life hit the ground, but he is chiseling you. So listen, listen, and be still in those quiet times. Just like the stones in the temple, God is shaping you, and he's molding you, and he's making you what he wants you to be in his image. But it's done in the quiet. 
And people may not always see it, but God is shaping you the way he wants you. That you're being shaped perfectly to fit his mold, to fit where he wants you to fit into, to fit perfectly into his kingdom. So we've seen God's timing the building, his method of the building, and now we're going to look at the glory of the building. The glory of the building. So we're in verse 7. Go through it again. The stones used in the construction of the temple were finished at the quarry, so there was no sound of hammer, axe, or any other tool in the building site. The entrance to the bottom floor was on the south side of the temple. There was winding stairs going up to the second floor and another flight of stairs between the second and third floors. After completing the temple structure, Solomon put a ceiling made of cedar beams and planks. As already stated, he built a complex of rooms along the sides of the building attached to the temple walls by cedar timbers. Each story of the complex was seven and a half feet high. The Lord gave this message to Solomon concerning this temple you are building. If you keep all my degrees and regulations and obey my commands, I will fulfill these things. I will fulfill these things through you, the promise I made to your father David. I will live among the Israelites and will never abandon my people of Israel. Obey my commands, obey my decrees, live as I tell you to live, and I will never leave you. I'll never leave you. Verse 14, so Solomon finished the building of the temple. The entire inside from floor to ceiling was paneled with wood. He paneled the walls and ceilings with cedar, and he used planks of cypress for the floors. Verse 18. Cedar paneling completely covered the stone walls throughout the temple, and the paneling was decorated with carvings of gourds and open flowers. He prepared the inner sanctuary at the far end of the temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant would be placed. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Then Solomon overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with solid gold. And he made gold chains to protect the entrance to the most holy place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the most holy place. He made two cherubim of wild olive wood, each 15 feet tall, and placed them in the inner sanctuary. Verse 29. He decorated all the walls of the inner sanctuary and main room with carvings of cherubim, palm trees, open flowers, so you could see the beauty that's inside this temple, the time and the care that was taken, he was giving God the best. The gold, see the gold that he used to cover everything in the temple was supposed to be the gold that they carried out of Egypt. Think about that. 480 years earlier when they get left to Egypt, what did they do with the gold? They used it. They wasted it. They made a golden calf out of it. That was the gold that was supposed to be used in the temple. So I don't know where all this gold came from, I guess from wars and things, but he used this fine gold to cover everything, everything. But when the priests went into this temple, they had to be just overwhelmed by the smell and the aroma of all that cedar. That 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 pleasing aroma, that that was like God's presence there with them. See, no one had ever seen anything like this before. All these beautiful carvings and all these vines and all these flowers, it meant something. It truly meant something. We'll get into that a little bit later. 
But it was all about the details. See, all these details, it was to glorify God because it was God's house, but it was also to point to Jesus. It was to point to it all. See, the ark, the ark that was covered with cedar, it was covered by the mercy seat. The temple was a, a, a representation of heaven on earth. All the gold represented the streets of gold. The smells, the aroma, it was, his, was God's presence. It was heaven on earth. See, God wanted to be with his people permanently. He wanted to be with them permanently. So that's why the temple represents God. He wanted to be there with them now and forever. See, when Jesus laid down his life on the cross, when Jesus laid down his life on the cross, that veil that was in the Holy of Holies was torn from the top down so we could get to the Father. So the tabernacle went with the people, but the temple, Jesus wants to be part of us. He says, you, you can come in to the temple. You can come to my Father through me. So you can't ha have heaven and not want God. You can't have heaven and not want God. See, the people wanted God to be there with them. God wanted to be with his people. Sometimes we want Jesus, but God kind of scares us a little bit. But you can't have both. You have to want God. So do you, do you long for God? Do you, do you long to hear God's word, to, for him to talk to you, to be with him? Because that's what the temple represents. And see, they could only go so far in the temple. Right? If, if the priest went too far, they would die. And they had to pull them back out. They could only go so far. They could only go so far. So most of the people, all they could, they could get close enough to smell that sweet aroma of the cedar, but they couldn't get any closer. See, we have that, we have that option today. That Jesus tore that veil, he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose in three days so we could go straight and directly to the Father. We can, we can smell that aroma for ourselves. So how far do you want to go today? How far do you, are you willing to go? So you may be here today and you're like, well, you know, I like Jesus' thing and I, I like church, but I believe I'm co close enough. I, I'm, I'm so close that I can smell the barbecue, but I don't want to go any further. I don't want to go any further. But Jesus said, no, come closer. Come to me. Don't just, don't just smell, but taste. See, he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. He is the only way that we can get to the Father. In Hebrews 9 it says, so Christ has now become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which is not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all. Once and for all, securing our redemption forever. Forever. Jesus is our high priest that he is the perfect tabernacle. He is the perfect tabernacle. That a tent is temporary, but a, a, a temple is permanent. His temple is permanent. His temple is permanent. So we're going to finish up just a few verses of chapter 7. And again, I told you I was skipping around a lot. Verse, chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Now Solomon, he needed some bronze work done. And Solomon, just like 
he used Hiram to get wood and lumber from. He knew a guy that knew how to work with bronze. So Hiram, not the same guy, cast two bronze pillars, each 27 feet tall and 18 feet circumference. For the tops of the pillars, he cast bronze capitals. That's little fancy pieces on top. Each seven and a half feet tall. Each capital was decorated with seven sets of latticework and interwoven chains. He also encircled the latticework with two rows of pomegranates to decorate the capitals over the pillars. The capitals on the columns inside of the entry room were shaped like water lilies, and they were six feet tall. The capitals on the two pillars had 200 pomegranates and two rows around them, beside the rounded surface next to the latticework. Hiram set the pillars at the entrance of the temple, one toward the south and one toward the north. He named the one on the south Yachin, and the one on the north Boaz. The capitals of the pillars were shaped like water lilies, and so the work on the pillars were finished. These pillars that were built, see, this new feature in this building was not needed in a tent. This structure was not needed in a temporary tent, but its, its purpose was more structure, structural. It needed to have this porch was held up by these two huge pillars, it was needed for strength. It was needed for support, for the integrity of the building. But they see these two pillars, these two bronze pillars, they were symbolic. They were so important that he named them. He named them. So let's talk about that for a second. He, he named them. The first one was Yachin. Yachin. And that translates to he will establish. That he will establish. See, that God sent his son to establish his church, to establish us. That establish means something that was built on something firm. So that's God's promise that he will establish you in the church. He will establish your life. He will build, start building you. It might be in the quietness, but he's going to start building you on something firm that's strong. So Yachin, he will establish and then the second one we see Boaz, a name that you've heard before. That means in him there is strength. In him there is strength. So we see these two promises that in Christ's church, in his family, that we in him we have strength. And in him he is going to establish our lives. That we're going to know strength and we're going to know establishment. So when people looked at the temple, they knew God was there. But they walked up to the temple and they knew that they were if in him... They would have establishment. In him, they would have strength. So then when they went to him in his weakness, they would look to those pillars and say, God's my pillar. That he is my strength. That in him I'm established. They knew God was with them. They knew that God would forgive their sins. But they were also reminded that in him there was strength. In him there was establishment. That God is our pillar. All through the temple, we see these symbol symbolisms. All these carvings, they mean something. The carvings of trees, the carvings of vines, their fruit, the flowers, the flower petals. See, John, uh, Jesus tells us in John 15, 5, that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And that apart from him, we're just going to wither and die. That we cannot bear fruit but with him, attached to that vine, we live and we can produce fruit. 
But apart from him, we can do nothing. Not only do the people look at those pillars and see that they have strength and those pillars and know that they are going to be established, they also see the vines and they see the fruit and they see the flowers and they know that as long as they stay rooted in God, as long as we stay rooted in Christ, that we're going to live and they're going to, that we're going to produce fruit, that we have strength, we have establishment. See, as followers of Christ, we have to be rooted in him. We have to be attached to that vine so we don't wither away and that we're into nothing, that we're just useless sticks, that we're his church, his foundations, his word, and we'll produce fruit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? We are his temple. We are his temple. But to be produce fruit, in order for us to produce fruit, we have to be attached to the vine. We must be planted in Jesus. That we must be with people that are planted in Jesus. That we're with people in his kingdom. That we're planted in his house. See, everywhere we go, everywhere we go, Christ goes with us. See, God went with the temple everywhere it goes. And now he says, don't you realize that your body is a temple? That everywhere we go, we're taking Christ with us. We take Christ to work. We take Christ to school. We take Christ to the ball game. Everywhere that we go, we take Christ with us. That we are a living temple. That people should see Christ through us. That people should see God through us because he is there with us. Everywhere we go, that our bodies are a living temple. That we carry around his Holy Spirit. That's a huge job. But we are his temple. The people should look to us and see God's strength. The people should look to us and see God's establishment in our lives. We may not be perfect, but he's working on us every day. Every day. In closing, I want to read in 1 Peter. It says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone, the living cornerstone of God's temple. Those, those stones that have been chiseled away, that there are being carefully chiseled and molded of what he wants us to be. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's quiet. But he's shaping us and he's molding into what is, and he's fitting us together perfectly. That you are coming to Christ who's a living cornerstone of God's temple. That he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for a great honor. Listen to this. You are living stones. You are living stones. You and I are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. That we are being built and shaped into a spiritual temple that moves from place to place. What's more, you are his holy priest. You and I are his holy priest. That people should see Christ through us. People should come to us through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. See, those sacrifices of blood and goats were no longer needed with that sacrifice on the cross. Those sacrifice that he made on the cross to save our sins made a way for anyone to come to his presence. And when we ask him into our lives, he makes you a living temple that he goes with you everywhere that you go. 
that you no longer pack up God and, and, and tear him down and put him up. He goes with you. That people should see Christ through us. Jesus is the temple. See, Jesus doesn't need a building. He cannot be contained in a building. He cannot be contained in a temple. His power cannot be contained. He doesn't look at a structure anymore to speak of his glory. He doesn't need a, a temple or a building for people to see his glory. He recruits blood-bought people like you and me. And he adores them. That when we see the beauty of this temple, that we see all these carvings, that, that we see that the God's beauty working in our lives. That no matter how messy our lives look, God is doing something wonderful in our lives. He is making us exactly how he wants, and that's beautiful. That we are producing fruit, that we're just not useless vines, that we're, we're producing fruit. He adorns us. See, he looks to redeem, and he asks that, that we, he uses our hands and our feet, that he uses our eyes, that he uses our mouths and our time, that we will produce that sweet aroma, that cedar. So going into a sauna or open up a, a chest made of cedar, you just smell that, that sweet aroma, that people see his spirit through us those things that are pleasing to God, that we are the living, fruit-bearing temples that he's calling us to be. See, this was God's building project, but now it becomes our building project, that we build his kingdom, that we reach others, that we are living stones being stacked up and built up together for his purpose. He's calling you to be a builder. He's calling you to be a stone that can be used for his glory, that you are a temple today. We all have a part to play. We all have a part to build. Let him build in your life today. Let's pray. We love Father, Lord, we thank you for your word today. Father, That I pray that in those times of waiting, in the silence, when we feel like we're not being used, Father, let us realize those are the times that we are being used that we just shut off the outside noise, that we get away and, and just go to your presence, that, Father, we, we allow you to take your hammer and chisel away at our lives. Father, that you, that you mold us and shape us and cut out the things that don't belong, that, that you cut out the things that don't look like you. And the more you mold us, the more you shape us, the more tightly we fit together for your purpose. Father, just help us go out of here and be the living temples that you are calling us to be. That we, when people see us, that they see your beauty. That they see how precious you are. Lord, let them smell the, the sweet of aroma of your presence. Lord, let people see that, that we look to you for our strength. And that you're the only person that we need to be established in that you are our strength, you are our comfort. Father, you are who we're building our lives on and nothing else. Father, we lift up you today. Father, we thank you. If there's anyone in here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, Father, I pray that they don't walk out of here without going to your temple. 
All they have to do is walk through that veil and go to God. Say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sins. I trust in you. I want to follow you. I want to be a living temple for you. Father, we love you and we thank you in your name.